0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Everyday Mental Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda. On today's episode, I am joined by life and relationship coach Susie. We dive into her background, her mental health story, and how she approaches coaching with a mindfulness-based cognitive approach. It's a really great episode, and I hope you enjoy. So, welcome to the podcast, Susie. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about you and your background?
1: Sure. And thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Susie Pettit, and I am a mom of five sons. I am a mindfulness based cognitive coach. I am a podcaster, and I am divorced. I've mentioned all those things because my background has you know it's been given to me I've had the life I've had so that I can help people now moving forward I I work daily with women and um, young women of all women of all ages actually I think my youngest is 12 helping them with their mental health and their um, overall wellness so that they can be the best they the best them they can be so that is that's who I am Yeah,
0: I love that. I'm super excited to kind of dive in and learn more about, you know, the different clients you work with. Um, and you did mention that you're divorced. Um, and so typically, what we like to do is uh, talk to people about their mental health story and how that's led to where they're at now, whether that's in a career or just, you know, living a more positive life. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, your mental health and, you know, if you've struggled with anything?
1: absolutely i i I think i need to start right back at the beginning where i was the oldest of three daughters and i grew up in a house where love was absolutely conditional my parents were very controlling and authoritative and and even though you know i i had all sisters so it was all girls in the house and then my mother my father was definitely the rule maker and the one who we always looked to for you know authority and the rules and i definitely learned the message that was taught to me that I didn't know what was best for me, that I needed to look to my father for that answer. And I needed to act in a certain way to be loved um, by my parents or really by anyone. And I I took that message away with me to college. And I guess I should pause right there. And I, in, in my youth, I was um, I developed an eating disorder when I was 16, and I had some social anxiety that I didn't realize as anxiety at the time, but definitely, you know, showing up with my confidence and, and not feeling good enough. Um, so I took that messaging with me to college and then married a man that, that right out of college, I started dating him freshman year of college and, and married a man that really was sort of a combination of my parents. And and really sort of I found a lot of security in being told what to do, because, again, I had this basic message that I didn't know what was right. Like I really had been had been taught that my inner guidance was not to be trusted and that if I did what, you know, other people, mainly the men in my life, if I did what they told me to do, then I would be happy. And I did do what they told me to do. And then at about age 35, I was like, huh, I'm not too happy. And right around there, I had, a, I had three kids and I had a good close friend die. And that was definitely a wake up call for me in that, like, hold on, life does not just keep Going and going and going. So Mm -hmm. even though I had done everything I was told to do, everything my dad and my husband told me would make me happy. You know, I went to college, I got a husband, I had the kids, I even had a dog. (laughs) And yet I felt huge emptiness. And was never diagnosed with depression, but definitely was struggling on and off with, you know, trying to trying to find happiness and inner peace. And and I I just couldn't do it. And, and, and so when my friend passed, it was three years, I was one of her primary caretakers. It really was a wake up call to life is not, you know, we we're, we're not here um, indefinitely. And what am I doing? And what kind of modeling am I modeling for my children was really a big push for me because I had, at that point, I was not quite able to to say that my needs mattered or, you know, anything about self-care, self-care for me was always very selfish. You know, it was very much, you could do things as long as it was helpful to my dad or my husband, but, but anything for me was very selfish. Even, you know, if, if I, I loved running and if I was, if I was going on a run, well, I better at least have the dog or a child, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that it was sort of this like go, go, go type, type place. So Through starting at about that age and and getting into some self-discovery and therapy, I started to let the real Susie out and drop this sort of persona that I had adopted for approval. And, you know, what happened? Well, (laughs) my life sort of fell apart around me. (laughs) I can go into details, (laughs) but it really... you know, it real like my, my husband definitely was like, what is going on? You know, this is not the woman I married who was sort of, you know, it, it, to be fair to him, I really was a people pleaser and a little puppet and doing, you know, it, it, like um, the real me was hidden behind all these layers of who I thought I should be. Mm-hmm. And then my family did not like when I sort of disrupted the status quo and said, actually, that doesn't make me happy and started to stand up for myself. Um, and, and that, that's the background that got me into, into coaching because I, I was always into wellness and into my, um, mental, not, not really my mental health, but my physical health. And I thought that if I was physically healthy, then I would be mentally healthy. Also, I just, you know, sort of was like, okay, if I exercise and eat well and, and sometimes sleep, you know, I was a young mother, so I wasn't sleeping that much, but sometimes I'll be okay and at about age 37 i ended up in the hospital with after a weekend of i had about 32 seizures in a weekend yeah that, oh,
0: no. oh my god <laughs> and gosh. like
1: by all means i was this healthy vibrant you know you look at me i was that little facebook picture of oh yeah here we go you know hashtag mm-hmm. goals you got it all going on and i was absolutely distressed My internal stress was slowly, if I I didn't, if I hadn't made serious changes, I'm not quite sure, you know, what would have happened. So that was a big wake up call for me. Oh my gosh. So Mm -hmm. were the
0: seizures in response to like stress or like something just an underlying condition?
1: No, the, the seizures were absolutely in response to stress. And, and fortunately, when I got into the hospital, you know, they're doing all these tests and they're, sh- they're showing that it's not epilepsy and it's not, you know, it, 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 all these things that it's not. And someone was, a doctor was visiting the ER that I was in and he had just completed a study showing that people can experience seizures when they are returning war veterans or moms engaged in um, high conflict the custody battles which was me. Oh no. <laughs> it was like these two groups and I'm like, "Oh my goodness." And and that really was, you know, here I am fighting 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 for my kids and and myself and realizing that if I did not make some big changes, I wouldn't be around for those kids that were so important to me. So that was really scary for me. And at the same time, really also pointing to how I was on the right path to to get out of this relationship and relationships.
0: Right, absolutely. And, you know, going back to kind of how you you talked about this was conditioning from your early stages in childhood. And when we go back into psychology, we learn that You know, if we kind of don't disrupt those patterns at some point in our life, we tend to repeat them, right? Mm -hmm. So, like when you said, you married someone who was kind of like your father and kind of like your mother, and you were kind of in that people pleasing. And you know, I kind of grew up in in similar like the Irish Catholic household, Mm -hmm. where like you didn't talk about things, and like girls were to be ladylike, and you know, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. And then I kind of had like an awakening in my early twenties. And yeah, and it's interesting kind of how, you know, the people you dated back then are not the people you would ever date now. Mm-hmm. And just because I think you you do come into your own and everyone kind of you know, I think people who go through these experiences, it may happen in their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, like whenever it happens, um, you know, they I think it's also too about like putting yourself first. Um, I think mm-hmm. society really conditions women to be nurturers and caretakers and, you know, like the whole self-care is selfish and, you know, mm-hmm. you should take care of everything else before. Um, so I can, I can so relate to you on so many levels yeah, of, of your experience. Um, and yeah, it's just. And it, it sounds like through, you know, kind of the muck that you were going through, you, you found your passion and you found kind of your purpose in life through uh, yeah. your coaching practice now.
1: Well, it, it's really fascinating because it is, it is like, you know, I say the universe throws these little pebbles at you that it's like, hmm, pay attention. And mm-hmm. here's another pebble and here's a stone and here's a boulder. And okay, here is a like, massive <laughs> boulder landing you in the ER. And that really was was a wake-up call for me i you know i i look you know i was in my mid-30s and and at this point i'm 49 and i sometimes have this idea like susie why didn't you listen to that inner voice even when i was first dating the man who became my husband you know i there was a lot about him that, that did not resonate with me and did not link up to me but it was you know on paper he looked good and were someone that my parents would approve of. And it's Mm -hmm. yet I was not listening to who I call my inner warrior. You know, I, I really was like, Oh no, no, you don't know what's right for you. (laughs) And, and that's okay. And some of my journey has been in forgiving myself and, and sort of, you know, taking the Maya Angelou quote that we do the best we can with the tools that we have at the time. And that's absolutely, I mean, I grew up in a house that was so controlling as to what we ate, who we talked to, um all of it and then my first husband would you know i wasn't a quote unquote allowed to wear button-down shirts or v-neck shirts or a bikini or all sorts of just very controlling things that i was not under lock and key yet i was agreeing to and and self-abandoning mm-hmm. and it was not until many years later that i i was like oh my gosh honey like what, <laughs> what's going on you do matter And that is where a lot of the work lies now in in the work that I do. I, I really have taken a look at these relationships that I had. And one of my my first life coach, the reason why I decided to go into life coaching over therapy was I had been in therapy for years and then I met with a life coach and it was a free, you know, 20 minute call or something. And I can still remember exactly where I was sitting and what I was wearing. And she sort of asked me, you know, what? tell me about yourself and i went into this like about my family and what they're doing to me because in the divorce my family abandoned me they said they would go on trial to say that i was a bad mom they i was i literally they took four hundred thousand dollars from my premarital savings and shredded the documents that went to my ex i mean there was a lot of betrayal and so i was telling her all this stuff and i'm like and at some point she cut me off pretty quickly and she was, and I, she said words that are seared into me. And she said, What if you had the exact parents you were meant to have to become the woman you are today? And, and just shifting it from the victim to the like, you know, a survivor and a thriver. And a, like I, I, I felt like, you know, this big light shining in from the window like, oh, yes, that's it. That is mm-hmm. it. I had those parents to become the woman I am today so that I can stop this family cycle of dysfunction. And mm-hmm. I have a sign in my house today that says the dysfunction stops here. And I am very clear with my boys that, you know, the, the patterns that I had and, and how I was sort of taught to be responsible for my parents' emotions and do this so dad isn't mad or do this so mom isn't sad or that that is not, there's no place for that in my house now with the household and the, and the relationships I have. Um, and it, re- it really is dramatic in, in terms of learning about relationships, boundaries, and and emotional intelligence.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like every, I wish that, oh, I just wish that boundaries and emotional intelligence and, and some of this stuff was taught in schools because it's so important in life. And it's mm-hmm. so, you know, because a lot of the times, you know, in the households, there is we all operate at levels of dysfunction, uh-huh. um, regardless of like our family structure and some are just more severe than others and we start adapting having these maladaptive practices. I know for myself. It was a lot of anxiety because it was like that people pleasing and the inability to establish boundaries, and it manifested in panic attacks that landed me in the emergency room. Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just like, you know, it, it, you kind of like look back, and, um, and now it's like, you know, once you really start to establish that stuff, and it's interesting too when you talk about when we've talked about the difference between coaching and therapy on this podcast, um, I've been in therapy for years and I've done some work with coaches and I've talked to plenty of coaches and, you know, it's interesting. Coaches definitely, um, they definitely have a different perspective. And I would say, I think because there tends to be a little bit more transparency that um I think that in some instances, it's definitely a lot more beneficial. And because I think, you know, there's kind of like that client thing with therapists that they can't disclose certain things. And, you know, like being a therapist, you probably couldn't disclose certain parts of your story. But I think that there's an empowerment there, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that some of your clients really relate to your story or parts of your story too.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. yes, and I, I definitely, I think there's a place for both therapists and coaches. I have greatly benefited from therapy, but there came a time when I needed to stop talking and, and sort of, and, and start doing. And that is very much, you know, my line of coaching is, is cognitive behavioral, mindfulness based coaching, which just means that I, I, I use two frameworks. One is, is I have five pillars of wellness where I incorporate, you know, it's sort of like five legs of a chair. And I say we need to have all five legs pretty steady because life happens. And (laughs) if they're weak, we're going to be wobbly. And so the legs are the ones we normally think of with wellness with exercise and eating, but then also sleep That was something I definitely um, as a young mother, but also, I, I, you know, even as a divorced mom, I was not prioritizing enough and recognizing how if, if I'm sleeping, my brain definitely tends more towards anxiety and ruminating thoughts. And so sleep is one of those pillars. that's very important. Another pillar is what I call soul care. I initially defined it as self-care, but it really is, I found myself being like, oh, okay, well, self-care is supposed to be going to get a manicure. And I, I really <laughs> Didn't, you know, manicure didn't fill me up and soul care more is like, okay, what do you do, Susie, that really, really fills up your soul? And that's, you know, it might be getting a manicure, but it might also be reading or, you know, something there and to be focusing in on that soul care. And then the fifth pillar is relationships. And that is the one that I had not paid attention to, but recognized that if those relationships are unhealthy, whether it's with your parents or your husband or your friend. Um, your wellness is going to suffer, and I am constantly preaching that the most important relationship that you have is the one with yourself, and that is you know when I was able to flip my care from you know everyone else and taking care of my husband and taking care of my dad and taking care of my kids and to taking care of myself, you know putting the oxygen mask on myself first, as they say on airplanes then everything else trickled down and it was something that had been told to me so many times and i was like yeah yeah whatever i'm a mom you don't get it you know but as a woman in the society it's just crucial that we do start to see that our care of ourselves is 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 the most important care there so that's one of the frameworks that i work with and the other framework is the the backbone of emotional intelligence which is why we have a lot of dysfunction in our relationships that we don't we're not taught emotional intelligence yet in school or at least i wasn't in the you know in the (laughs) 70s 80s and 90s um but the idea that you know things happen in our life and i can share with you uh my graphic of what i call the thought model so Listeners can have it and print it up and post it everywhere. <laughs> just yeah, as a absolutely. Reminder. But the, you know, things happen in our lives, so I call those circumstances. And and from those things that are happening, we have thoughts about those things. The thoughts are just sentences in our head, and we have lots of those thoughts every day—60 to 80,000 if we're female. And those thoughts are not necessarily true, but we tend to think that they're true. And <laughs> from those thoughts, we feel certain things. And feelings are one word, and it is literally an energy in our body, an emotion. And so it can be disappointment or sadness or helplessness or happiness or joy or excitement. From that feeling, we take action. So the next line in the thought model is action, and you act or react or inact, And then from those actions come, come the results that you see in our lives. So the thought model just looks like, you know, it's the CTFAR along the left hand side, C for circumstances, T for thought, F for feeling, A for action, and R for results. So an example of this would be, um, I'm just going to take today, today I had a full calendar. So the circumstance of my life is that I have a full calendar. Like my calendar, if you look at it, everyone would agree it is, you know, there's something there for every hour. My thought about that, Um, I'm going to give you an a help a thought that would not help me a thought a thought I had was like oh my gosh I have so much to do so that's my thought that is not necessarily a fact that's a thought that I'm thinking about the fact of my life that thought would lead me to feel overwhelmed the feeling of overwhelmed does not lead me to take a proactive action it usually leads me into inaction to procrastination or to you know just sort of frenzied activity and the result always leads back to prove the thought true so the thought being I have so much to do, and it's like, yeah, you do because you didn't get anything done because <laughs> you're so stressed. <laughs> Versus, you know, what I have found a more empowering thought, and this is where I help clients, you know, sort of choose a thought that's more helpful. And you know, you have a full schedule. Okay, I have all the time I need to get done what needs to get done. I feel calmer. My in the action line, I will take action. I might take some calm-inspired action. I I move through. You know, I have this podcast interview. I write my blog. I meet with my kids. I. And the result is I get through everything I need to get done. Mm-hmm. So that is the very, it's the backbone of what I do. And it brings me a lot of peace in my life. The way it shows up in relationships uh, is, is magical because it gets you out of, the, out of the habit of taking over responsibility for how someone else is feeling. So, you know, an example of this would be um, my friend calls me. On the phone or i'm trying to think of something worse like the, you know dad is angry um let's just take that as a fact like my dad is angry so me as a little girl i know dad is angry and if my thought is i caused it you know i'm gonna feel fear my action might be to do something you know and the result is that i did cause it and it goes back to, and i let him have responsibility for for his anger um which is, which is not helpful for him. An example, you know, we do this all the time in, in school, you know, a teacher might be like, oh my gosh, Susie, you made Johnny cry. And maybe Susie, me, maybe I took Johnny's crayon. So the circumstances I took Johnny's crayon, and then the, the action is that Johnny cries. Well, I don't know, maybe Johnny had the thought like, oh my gosh, I didn't get to finish my picture. And then he feels sad. And then he cries. And sure enough, it, you know, I did influence Johnny. What if me taking Johnny's crayons made him like, oh my gosh, yeah, I get to go out to recess sooner, you know, and then he feels overjoyed and he's crying with excitement. Like, we don't know. There's so many different (laughs) options as to the thought that we're, you know, the person is thinking, but we're often taking responsibility for that in ways that, that, that doesn't serve us. And, and that's where we really can have power in our life for taking control of the thoughts that we're focusing on. Because the thoughts we're focusing on are going to let us lead us to feel a certain way. But then also letting other people have the thoughts they're focusing on. My sweet, this is my second husband who I'm madly in love with. He I was recording my podcast on my very full day, a different podcast episode, and he was drilling something out in the living room because we're in a new house, and I was trying to record and I was getting distracted and I was like, All right, I'm gonna go ask him to stop. So I stopped my podcast. I go out and I say, Hey, can you you know, is there any way you could start late or whatever? So I ended up finishing recording and then when I went outside. Um, I saw that there was a little note on the ground that was like, you know, said something about, you know, sorry that I was recording or I, I could tell from his note that he was upset that I had come out and said something. And he was thinking, oh my God, I, I you know, I, that was not mindful of me because I was drilling in the middle of the living room while Susie's doing a podcast episode and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but me as a, you know, an individual and him as an individual were we're emotionally, mature adults, I sort of was like, all right, he can have that thought. That's not what I was thinking, you know, and if he wants to process through that, that's that's his responsibility. But, you know, my responsibility is to make sure that I delivered my request with grace and kindness, and then he can take it however he wants to take it. That is sort of this next level of adulthood um, that can be challenging, but it's, you know, letting someone else have the thoughts they're going to have and not taking responsibility for them.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's something to that is so ingrained, you know, Mm -hmm. as a young, like as a young girl, it's like, you're responsible for how you feel, how you react and like everyone else around you. And Mm -hmm. then I think, you know, when you get to that point, when you realize that you're not responsible for, yeah, obviously we want to have emotional intelligence and everything in a relationship, but you know, if you're communicating in an emotionally healthy way and for some reason your partner is upset it's like that it's, that could be a million different things like you said mm-hmm. right like yeah. that could be because they were upset at work or you know even this morning I was just kind of having a little bit of an off day and and my boyfriend was like you know what like are you okay what's going on and I'm like yeah I'm just kind of frustrated with like work right now and you know he automatically mm-hmm. internalized it that it was about our relationship uh-huh. and, you know, so like when you're able to have that dialogue and, you know, because in the past I would just shut down, I would just, mm-hmm. be, nope, you know, I'm fine, whatever. And then like go about my day and like, you know, he thinks that I'm mad at him, but, um,
1: yeah, oh, it-, it creates such trauma and that this, this I'm fine. That is my favorite, like, fine. Oh God, fine right. Feelings inside needing expression. Like that is what I'm like, oh, oh I yeah, I'm, I know I'm constantly coming back. I'm like, no, no, we're not fine. Like well, mm-hmm. let's just dig in because our brain is just the story making machine. And, and absolutely. Like if my husband walks in the door with, you know, some weird look on his face, I am going to internalize that and be like, Ooh, I bet it's because I didn't shake out the door. I don't even know. That's my past coming out. And the best thing I can do what I'm always telling clients to do is use clear, concise communication, like your boyfriend did this morning in this, like, Hey, what's going on? Or, you know what? And, and, and sure enough, you know, maybe my husband's like, Oh no, I was just about to burp and I was holding it inside or, you know, (laughs) we're making it mean like something fundamental about our relationship. Or the other day I saw a neighbor across the street and I waved and she just went from her car right into the house and didn't wave back. And in my head, I was like you know, my brain immediately goes to like, oh, she must be angry. But then, thank goodness for my training, I, I love using another tool that I use. is called Alternative Explanations, where I will pause and ask myself, and this is where mindfulness comes in. You know, I, I'm mindful that my mind goes to the worst case scenario, like she must be angry at me. Well, that I haven't spoken to her in like, <laughs> I haven't seen, like, well, how would she be angry at me? So I, I, I'm able to take that pause and notice my brain, and then say, "Okay, Susie, what are some alternative explanations?" And you know, maybe she doesn't have her contact and she can't see you. Maybe she's racing in because she forgot something. Maybe she just had a call on the phone with her aunt, and she's crying, and she just needs to go lie down. Maybe she has to pee know, I mean, there are so many reasons, and why we make it about us and why we go to the worst-case scenario is our brain's programming, but that is up to us to sort of push-pause. Slow down and choose a different path. That just, you know, choose a different thought is what I'm saying. And that, that's where my coaching is that, that will lead you to feel better. And I'm, another tool I use is, is having clients ask themselves, like, is that a helpful thought? You know, so right. even you know, my, my neighbors pissed at me. It's like, okay, is that a helpful thought? You know, <laughs> sure, you don't know that's true, but is that helpful? Is there a thought that may be more helpful, more, you know, and it's just questioning yourself moving through and and finding a way to move through your day.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's really, that's so important with the the cognitive part of of your coaching that comes in Mm -hmm. because, you know, unless you really, and that's the thing is it's a skill set you're constantly building, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because it's so easy to fall back into old patterns and old habits where you're like, oh, this, it's all about me, you know, like I did this and they're mad at me. And, you know, once you're able to like really catch yourself and start shifting that mindset Mm -hmm. and really be like, like, Hey, there's a bunch of different explanations for this. Or, you know, if this is something that's really bothering me, like, let's talk about it and have an emotionally healthy discussion about it instead of, you know, I know some people will like yell um, Mm. and argue. And I know sometimes that's, that's them projecting the fact that they're, they never feel heard and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like when you start doing that shift in your mindset, it's so, Oh, I can imagine when you're working with clients, it's like, yeah. oh, like the the the
1: sky has parted, you know. Well, and it just feels so much better. It mm-hmm. feels so much better to, you know, even like take the yelling. I work with a lot of moms, and they do not feel good when they're yelling at their kids. Right. And yet, the yelling is in the A line of the model. And so, you know, if if say say Johnny is throwing his applesauce on the floor. You know, that's the circumstance that's happening. What is their thought about it? That, oh my God, I'm raising a slovenly child. And then they feel, you know, fear and and anxiety, like what kind of kid am I raising? And then they, their action is more reactive and it may be to yell. And that is not, they don't feel good about that. So instead, you know, it's just like, okay, what's another, like, how do you want to feel about Johnny Throwing applesauce on the floor. Well, I want to feel calmer about it. And not that I want him doing it all the time, but maybe I can choose the thought that this is age appropriate behavior, Mm -hmm. that I'm not a failure as a mother, (laughs) you know, (laughs) go to like the worst case scenario, like, okay, this is normal. So this is happening. What do I want to do about it? Well, what, you know, and, and then you can, you can sort of push pause. I say, you know, if you're thinking of the model between the feeling and the action, is the ability to pause that is the power of the pause right there and so you feel your feeling of you know fear or anxiety and 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 you can just it's like before you do something push pause Mm -hmm. take a deep breath and then choose do i want to yell here okay no i really don't feel good after i yell i'm just gonna shut my mouth or i'm gonna you know open my mouth and and ask my partner is something wrong or you know but it's it's being more intentional more mindful about our what we're doing in the a-line if we're acting or reacting or enacting and and that way we feel better about the life that we're living
0: absolutely mm-hmm. yeah and just taking that pause is is so beneficial So <laughs> <No> beneficial
1: <laughs> and so
0: you know i know you just mentioned that you work with um a lot of moms but are there a certain clientele that you specialize in working with i'd love to hear a little bit more about your practice and, and who you work with
1: I, I really work with women. I don't work with men anymore, um, not because I, I just have a male life coach that I employ that I send the men to, but I, I work with women because of the messaging we've been sent and that, you know, we do need to take care of other people's emotions and that we aren't good enough. And this whole self care. Idea. And so I work with women to help them in their relationships. And that, that usually is middle aged women who don't like to be called middle aged, but <laughs> anything between, you know, like 30 and 60. Really. Yeah. And it's this sort of midlife awakening where you get to the place where I got where it's like we're sort of running on that treadmill of life and doing what we think we're supposed to do. And we get the kids and get the you know, career, we get them and we're like, we sort of lift up our head from being so busy and that glued on smile on our face. And we're like, wait a minute, our life looks pretty good on the outside, but it just doesn't feel good on the inside. And that's where I step in to help them, you know, really at their core, live a life that they love. That does not mean every day is rainbows and daisies. This is not about sort of putting a positive, you know, turn that smile upside down. That's very much how I was raised. Like, you know, negative and uncomfortable emotions were not allowed. What it is about is about learning how to feel our uncomfortable emotions and learning that those uncomfortable emotions are part of our life. That is part of, you know, in the same way that if we're doing a workout at a gym, if we want to get stronger, our muscles, pain is involved. Muscles are going to, you know, tear and they're going to, in the growing, there is that sort of pain. And that's what we do as, as humans, when we're trying to grow and evolve to that next level of ourselves. And so I am not even sure I came close to answering your question, but I really work with women who are at a point and looking for more happiness. They sort of are at this area where they're either thinking like, is this all there is? That's something I hear often, like, is this it? And, Mm -hmm. or they are, are living in this sort of stable misery. I call it well. Dr. Lynetta Willis came up with that term. She's an awesome um, family coach, but this stable misery of just sort of like thinking this is as good as it gets, which is really what I did for the 19 years that I was married to my husband, because that's what had been modeled to me in a marriage. That you know this this is what it's like. This you know don't ask for more. Who are you to ask for more? And that's very much a message that women get. Like you know who are you to dream bigger? Who are you to think? that you can be happy and that you have greater needs and I'm here to tell all those women out there that it's absolutely your birthright to live a life that you absolutely adore you're here to blow the ceiling off your limiting beliefs and just expand and grow and love love your life so that's that's what I love doing
0: no absolutely I love that and it's so true because it's like you know I think a lot of people and, you know, part of my generation with millennials, they kind of started blowing off the, you know, traditional American Mm -hmm. dream. And, you know, and I think there has been a cultural shift in terms of like, you don't have to do X, Y, and Z or Mm -hmm. you could do X, Y, and Z and be happy or whatever. And it's really about figuring out like what does make you happy. I think for years, um, Everyone, you know, thought that, you know, having the kids and the career and, and whatever would, you know, fulfill you. And, you know, I think a lot of people at the end of the day are like, yeah, it's it's not there. Like, it's not happening. It's not. And I think that a lot of people are led into careers and jobs that, you know, pay the bills, uh, maintain a certain lifestyle. But again, it, it's not... I think at the end of the day, a lot of people, they need something to fill their soul. They need something yeah. to, to be, to work for the betterment of society or, you know, whatever kind of mindset that they may have and the goal of their work. So um, it, it's just, it's very interesting kind of how a lot of us, we, we do, we end up getting stuck, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and we, it, and it is, I, I like to just bring sort of a layer of forgiveness and compassion. And that's like, yes, of course you are. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And here you are now, let's start from now, like not wasting time with guilt and shame that does not get us anywhere. It is more this now that we're here, now that we know better, let's do better. And I, I definitely address what I call the soul ache. That sort of like, oh, I've done all these things, you know. And this is society that tells us you'll be happy when you'll be happy when you lose those 10 pounds, you'll be happy when you get that new countertop, you'll be happy when you get that promotion. And we're always putting off our happiness. And then we get it and we're like, Ooh, no, that's not doing it. What's next? And that is so much of the work I do and just, you know, allowing yourself to settle into the present, to be happy now with what we have and appreciation for what we have while having absolute eager excitement and and anticipation for what's to come and, and allowing what's to, you know, giving yourself that permission to live a life that you love absolutely
0: and i think that's the great thing that that i've seen kind of change on on a cultural level is that Mm -hmm. your life is not going to look like your neighbors or your sisters or whatever and that's fine and that's Mm -hmm. totally okay and what people end up doing is they get caught up in that comparison of like oh i should have a bigger house or i should be doing this or i should be doing that but in reality you know something i've learned over the years is you know, I value freedom and flexibility and, you know, myself and and my family and and the people immediately in my life, like they're more of a priority than my job. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you know, you have to work and, and make money and so forth. But, you know, I, I've always figured out ways to kind of support myself and, you know, it may not look as conventional as some other people, but it's what makes me happy because, you know, corporate environment just was not, not my jam. <laughs> right,
1: And it can be someone else's jam. That's right. the whole, I mean, this comparison. I like say compare and despair, like that is not helpful for us. So someone mm-hmm. else might be loving it in corporate. Someone might be loving it, you know, just all around their kids. It, it's what works for us. And it really, for me as a coach and a woman, it has been a relearning on how to listen to myself, to listen to my own inner warrior, as I call her, instead of, you know, oh, well, look at Sally. She looks happy over there on her nine to five. Or look at Joey. She's, you know, it's like, no. Okay, Susie, what resonates for you? And to sort of quiet that noise down and, and keep tuning into that, knowing that there is no, you know, right answer. I just find that, you know, along the way, you find the way. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally
0: agree. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think there's kind of, it's interesting too, in, in society, there's been this, um, maybe it's kind of the circles that I tend to follow. There's like this push for everyone to be self-employed and to be business yeah. owners and stuff like that. And I'm like, it's not, it's not mm-hmm. for everyone. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can totally be happy in a job, you know, working nine to five or, you know, whatever it is, it's like you said, it's really just about figuring out like what works best for you, what you enjoy and what makes you happy at the end of the day.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I also like, cause anxiety lives in the future. And if, and so I do think it's like, what makes you happy right here, right now, you might change that in two years or 20 years or 40, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, this, we get sort of anxious and fearful and we're like, Oh, but what if this isn't what I want to do? And, the, and it's like, okay, this is what you want to do now. So right. why don't you do it now? Take the next right step. And then you know, you just keep moving forward. Like you may not see sort of the top of that ladder, but you just keep moving up that ladder in a way that feels right to you. And if it's wrong, well, then, then you, that's a decision too. That's a, that's a growth opportunity. <laughs> Call it.
0: <laughs> right. like, it's
1: oh, wonderful. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of those. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so
0: interesting. It's that uncertainty where people get so freaked out, you know? I know. and. Yeah. I I feel like when you really start embracing that, too, oh, my gosh, anxiety dissipates so much. And, you know, because like, um, I decided to go back to grad school. And I was like, "Eh, I don't know if it's going to be like, you know, the right thing for me. But I'm like, you know what, it's something I've wanted to do for since I graduated undergrad, like, you know, eight, nine years ago. And I was like, you know what, in 10 years, if I'm, you know, not really enjoying, you know, the work aligned with the grad school stuff, then it's fine. I'll just move on, you know?
1: Yeah. Or if in one year, it is this, it's one letting go of what other people are thinking, you know, like, oh my gosh, someone's going to say I wasted my time or money. It's like, no, what am I going to say? And for you right now, it's the right choice. So then we just move forward with that. I have found for sure, you know, I'm 49 years old now. And when I look back at everything i've done i it all pieces together very well i i actually came out of undergrad and was <laughs> was a french high school teacher like I, I can't speak french now to save my life but it it's just so funny i used to coach lacrosse and it's 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 all these things but i see it and i'm like yeah of course i was a teacher i loved you know one of my favorite things to do when I was teaching French, was to talk about feelings and emotions mm-hmm. and learn about, you know, people's behaviors and it's it like it's it's one of those pieces and we do not know how it all fits together. But we like when you find that spark, you follow that spark. That's what I say. So you're having the spark to do grad school. Like when we get two in our heads, like oh, what if this isn't the right thing? As if there's only one right path. It's mm-hmm. um, not helpful, and it's, we just keep taking those steps forward. I you know with anxiety. I, I had been on anxiety meds after my, all my lovely seizures and been through my divorce. And now I manage my anxiety naturally. I have a podcast where I wrote, you know, my top 10 ways to beat anxiety, but, but two of my favorite tools that I returned to, and certainly have come up with, uh, we're recording this in the beginning of 2021, but really, you know, through COVID and working with a lot of kids with anxiety and COVID were one to not look too far into the future, just sort of put a a limit on how far ahead you would look so when this first hit in March you know I just said let's just look to the end of April like let's not think oh my god this is gonna last for a year because then we get into that freak out zone anxiety we can't get anything done we are you know spinning our wheels and so one of them is to put a container on the time so you know even with something that has nothing to do with COVID it's you know grad school it's like okay well I'm gonna do this for this year I'm committing or I'm committing to this semester I'm committing for this week you know it's like, come on. And then the other piece of it is to feel the feelings we're feeling. So in this current moment, what are we feeling? You know, the thoughts that we think create a feeling that we're having. It's an energy in our body. And I, I guess if I can leave listeners with a tool that, that helps me every day, a lot of days, it's to know um, how to process our feelings. So when we have a thought, if they're, if they're looking at your brain, your, you know, one of our little wrinkly brains, the amazing supercomputers in our head, you have a thought. It looks like a a lightning bolt, and from that lightning bolt, it then rains down this energy of emotion. So you literally have an energy in your body, and that energy needs to be processed. When we don't feel the, you know, when we bottle it up, I'm sure you've had other people on here who were like, feel it to heal it, and don't bottle it up. And and the way to feel it, we're not taught, but it is simple not always easy the first thing is you label it so it's one word and emotion is one word so you know helpless frustrated angry sad embarrassed just label it and then the second piece is describe it and that is the physical sensation not the thought not why you have it not why you're sad or why you're angry but describe it as if you're describing it to you know my coach taught me like as if you're describing it to an alien so for me, you know, disappointment. And, and so I, number one, say I'm feeling disappointment. Number two, I say, okay, it feels tight in my chest. My forehead feels wrinkly. It feels a little heavy, you know, maybe give it a color or a temperature. Maybe, you know, anger feels hot and red or, you know, what, whatever description you can give to it. And then the third piece is you just let it be there. And it really is uncomfortable physically. It is like, but but it passes and I, it is like stubbing your toe. So it feels really bad at first and then it passes. So it's this like, Oh my God, I'm feeling disappointed. (laughs) Okay. I'm feeling inside of my chest. And then if you literally let yourself feel it, it goes. And, and that has been so helpful for me with my anxiety because I, I used to think that the painful emotion, you know, caused me to suffer. But what really caused me to suffer was the things I was doing to avoid feeling the emotion. I was going, you know, to, to what I call buffer. I would eat or I would shop or I would Facebook or I would overwork or I would, you know, yell at someone. And that was not helpful. And instead of, you know, suffering to avoid the pain, I just would sit and it's like, okay, I'm going to feel this uncomfortable emotion and let it pass and move on. And that has helped me tremendously to just, it, I literally will lie down <laughs> with like my hand over my head and feel my feelings. And I've taught my kids and it's just something, you know, okay, I'll move through it. And then you get up and you're like, all right, maybe it'll come again. It's like these little waves, depending on what you're going through in life. There might be a lot of them, but sometimes it's just, you know, one, okay, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I let that pass. And then I get up and I'm like, what do I do when I'm overwhelmed? Well, I need to write down what the heck I'm overwhelmed about and move through it. But if I'm pushing it away, that just creates this inner turmoil in me that you know ultimately led to our visits to the ER. <laughs> <My> <laughs> oh
0: gosh, it's so yeah. true. Yeah. No, so true. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um oh gosh, this is uh, such good information. So for the listeners out there, um, if they're interested in potentially working with you or learning more about your work, where can they find you?
1: The best place would be um I, I send out a weekly newsletter mm-hmm. and that is at smbwell dot com slash newsletter or my podcast, uh, which is called The Love Your Life Show. And it literally, you know, I have I have over, I'm probably at 125 episodes now of just my goal out there is to offer free resources for, I, I call my listeners warriors, um, who just want to live a life that they love. And that's what we're here for. We are all meant to live this life we love. So I would, I would love to have listeners go there. and Of course, I hang out on Instagram at SMB underscore wellness um, or Susie Pettit. I think you can search and I'll come up too, but I would love to hear, you know, if anyone's listening to this and they have a big takeaway, reach out. I love hearing from people because it also helped me know how best to help people moving forward.
0: Absolutely. And I'll be sure to link everything in the show notes too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yay. Yay.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Susie. It was great thank to you. chat with you. This is great. That wraps up our
1: episode with Susie. Until next time, take care.